Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. Sweetheart, so what are you waiting for? Breakfast in bed? Another glorious day in the Corps. Day in the Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Every meal is a banquet. Every paycheck a fortune. Every formation a parade. I love the Corps. Where's Baskin? Let's rock! Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Green, Christian Matska, Andy, Perry Chicos. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the show. It's been a while since we recorded a roundtable. Um, it's great to have everyone back and to be back. Tonight, we are here to discuss our last, and uh, at least for this year, our 35th anniversary celebration of aliens and we really wanted to kind of leave off with the discussion of the special edition and i know we have a lot of opinions there's a lot in the special editions that is not in the theatrical there are those of us who prefer the theatrical there are those of us who prefer the special edition so we're going to get into that we're going to get into what those scenes are does it make it a better film the additional scenes and what and because there's some stuff in the special edition that made it you know public years ago like for instance Ella, Ripley's name Ella no one knew that until the special edition release and everyone calls her Ellen Ripley even people who have never even seen the special edition so anyways there's a lot to get into tonight I'm excited it's going to be a great time so you're really talking this one up Jamie it's a lot of promises no it is going to be a great time before we go any further though there's an elephant in the room and that elephant is about nine pounds and is no longer on camera, but it was Perry's beautiful daughter. Yes. Who was here Yay. from the beginning of this. Perry, a fairy, from, not an elephant. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm job, sorry. Not, I'm not trying to call her an elephant. Oh, okay. no elephant in the room. Perry's She's baby. a very dainty baby uh, who's not elephant at all. But Perry, from all of us here, uh, you know, on the call, all the rest of the team, everybody else out there in perfect organism, alien land. Congratulations to you and your wife on uh, the birth of your lovely daughter. Thank you. Thank you so much, you guys. It, it seriously means so much. And everyone should know we named her Quinn Ripley Chicos. My wife let me have uh, the middle name, um, which I'm so grateful for. <laughs> uh, and I just love telling people when they ask me like where that what that name is from. And I always, you know, bring up Alien and, and say how such a great, strong character uh, within these films. Uh, and I wanted my daughter to, you know, be a, a symbol of that in a, in a sense. And obviously I'm going to share all, we've already watched aliens twice together, as I've told you guys, but, um, I want to share the love of fandom with her, uh, as much as I love it. And hope, hopefully she will appreciate it. Um, since her name is, has Ripley, you know, <laughs> but thank it's her you. birthright, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I hope that if you uh, if you walk her down the aisle someday, you you give her a flamethrower as <laughs> just to make it really appropriate. You know? My be question awesome. before we get into the show, though, how old were your kids, all of you guys, when you first showed them Aliens? Obviously, 
uh, Quinn is an infant, a newborn. <laughs> so I'm curious the rest two of you. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> my youngest was nine, but my oldest, we waited till he was 10. But Andy, yours were younger, weren't they? Um, same, well, my youngest was eight. She like begged to watch it. <laughs> and then my oldest just saw it last year when she was 12. She waited. And then afterward, she was, she like was kind of sad. So I was, I was devastated. I'm like, oh my God, she doesn't like it. And then she said, no, I'm just sad that I waited so long. So that was, <laughs> that's where it went wrong. Yeah. But otherwise they loved it. They both love it. That's a good reason to be sad. Yeah. It's kind of hard to track for us because it was on when they were infants a lot. But in terms of like official viewings of it, probably both when they were five, like, you know, I would say that was probably when we first like sat down and was like, okay, this, let's like really watch the movie together. But getting into the episode for tonight, uh, I want to say something that I'm excited about is on our Blade Runner show, Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast available on all fine podcast platforms anywhere. A five star rating, you know. Uh, we, we get to talk about <laughs> this stuff stranger. all. <laughs> we get to talk about this stuff all the time, right? Because Blade Runner is famously like the 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 ne plus ultra of movies that have different editions released of it. The special edition of Aliens, though, is a glimpse into that for Alien, right? Because this was something that had nothing to do with the quadrilogy box set, right? When we got all the other editions that we know and love, this was something that predated that and went through multiple iterations. You know, between the television broadcast, the additional censored footage that was added for that, the home video release, and then the laserdisc release, which of course is what we're going to be talking about today, is the actual canonical special edition of the film, which was assembled, you know, with direct input from James Cameron as what he originally had wanted before Fox put a lot of stuff on the chopping block. So what we're seeing with the special edition is an accurate glimpse into like the actual definitive version of the film, according to James Cameron. And that presents a really interesting conundrum, right? This is not the assembly cut of Alien 3. This is this is something where the movie that James Cameron wanted to make was not allowed to be made by the studio. And then he got to go back after, you know, more success and get his way with it. So it is, it is at least as far as he's concerned, a definitive document. So um, I think that makes it even more interesting that some of, some of those of us who like the, the theatrical more, um, you know, we like something that he didn't really quite intend to come out the way that it did. Anyway, but yeah, that's, uh, there's a lot to talk about tonight. When you look at the quadrilogy, you have James Cameron having his, his special moment at the beginning saying, this is the version that I wanted. And then you go to the special edition of Alien Resurrection, and here's Jean-Pierre Genot saying, I don't want this version. I want you to watch the theatrical version. <laughs> and then in between, you have Ridley Scott saying, you know, it was fun. I did it. No big deal. And of course, then there's Alien 3, which is the big, this isn't really anyone's quite, I don't know. It, ugh, fascinating. But Blade Runner, just for a second, because I don't get to go on that show. Um, you could feel like to. You've never invited me. Well, um, you're in- I, formally invited. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I did it. We did it. Um, <laughs> I, I swear, you almost have to sit somebody down and force them to watch three different versions of Blade Runner in a row before they can ever say whether they like it or understand it. You know, of, of the five or six versions that exist. It just, you know, you show them one and say, hold it. Don't tell me yet. You got to watch the whole thing again with a voiceover this time or whatever. Anyway. But this is different, isn't it? Aliens, I, we all have opinions about the theatrical versus the special edition, but um, the, the, the special edition is a compliment. It's, it's adding additional stuff. It's not taking away anything. And it doesn't 
significantly change the, the meaning of the movie. So it's kind of a fun thing. We can talk about this, but in the end, there's no wrong answer, right? Or is there? <laughs> we'll find out tonight well, on Perfect that, Organism. That leads into the big question is, when did everyone see it? And what was their reaction to it? Because, again, for me, and I'm, I, I will get into this later, but I was a kid. And then I didn't see it m until years later and to actually verify that what I saw on TV is actually what I saw on TV because it disappeared for years. So I'm curious what everyone's story is. Also, Mine the is the same as yours. Um, the first time I saw Aliens was the TV broadcast. And so when we rented it numerous times, like sometimes once a week, um, I we were so con my brother and I were so confused the first time because we had remembered more than any other scene. Um, you know, we remembered the uh the the oh my god, I'm blanking. The sentry guns. The sentry guns, yes. Me too. yeah. And we were like, we remember this scene with all the guns and it wasn't there. So um, I remember going on eBay when that first came out and buying like somebody's radio, like a VHS <laughs> copy for, I don't know how, like, like 30 something dollars um, of the special edition. And then the quadrilogy came out like shortly after that. But those like early 90 years were like you know, wondering what happened. It was a, it was a confusing time, but I loved any extra I could get any extra footage. I think the TV version only had the sentry guns as the, as the added bit. And then you had all the fun TV edits, like how do we have this chicken outfit? <laughs> <laughs> but Patrick has a finger up. I think that he, has I do have a finger up. Uh, it also had the Ripley finding out about her daughter. Yes. Really? Yeah. Yes. Okay, but those are the only two. The, the, the only two things. All the Hadley's mm -hmm. Hope stuff wasn't on it. Hmm. Yeah, I pr I probably saw. So like when I was in grade school and I was absorbing like the the Kenner figures were out and I, um, as I've talked about just being introduced to the whole series as a kid, uh, I I saw the theatrical cut of Aliens. Um, first like that was after uh, my buddy Chris and I like we watched Alien and then I wanted to see the next one um, so we watched Aliens and then it was like I don't know I was at like a Walmart back in the day or something like that and I the VHS was there and I was like oh I, I want to buy that and I think my dad let me buy it and but I didn't know until like I got home that it was the special edition I was like oh special edition cool so then I watched it and and obviously got to see um, all the added uh scenes and um you know ripley finding out about her daughter the sentry guns um and everything and and for me it it was just so much more because i wanted i was so deep like threaded into the storyline and like the Waylon yutani and like wanting to know so much of that just more i wanted so much more i was like oh this is so cool like get like ripley had a daughter like you get to see when she's like how many colonists are there on the planet? And the guys, oh, 60, 70 families. And she's like, oh my God, Jesus, families. And then it cuts to that, and it goes to that scene on, and then you meet like Newt's family and they're going out. And like, that was just so, so much more powerful for, for me when I saw it. And I, that's what brought me to love it. But that's how I kind of first saw it. And then I would like only watch the special edition. If I ever was like, I don't know, watching my friends and it was a theatrical, I'd like feel bummed out inside. <laughs> So the early Dark Horse comics that were a direct sequel to Aliens, you know, the, the further adventures of Newton Hicks in particular, they 
showed um, Newt's family, the Jordans, finding the derelict. And so I had assumed that they had access to the special edition years earlier. But this, it gets weird, but uh, Dark Horse did not use the name Whalen Utani for years and years and years. And the theatrical cut of Aliens does not have Whalen Utani anywhere in it, except for there's one shot where it's backwards on a window in the background. So I think they actually got it from the novelization. The, the Alan Dean Foster novel had those moments in there. But again, no, no mention of William Utani for whatever reason. So, um, so but that, those are the early days when it was like detective work. You're trying to figure out yeah. each little bit and how, how everything connects. And I had to bribe a friend of mine who had a, a laser disc player hooked to a VCR to make me, to dub me down a copy of it. Uh, it took him forever. <laughs> but I can remember putting it in for the first time and watching it and just, you know, every little bit that was added was, was extra, extra gravy. It was so good for me. Um, although my best friend that I was watching it with, she really had a bad reaction to the name Ellen. So when it became, you know, what's your name? Ellen. <laughs> that didn't go over well. <laughs> See you, Hicks. Dwayne. It's Dwayne. Ellen. Don't be gone long, Ellen. Don't be gone long, Ellen. <laughs> Dwayne. <laughs> Dwayne. <laughs> um, you, you bring up something that's really interesting about the timing here because the ADF novelization, as you're saying, includes all this stuff in it, right? The Dark Horse stuff includes these scenes. Um, and it's because the, this in, the, in post-production, a lot of these changes were made really late, close to the shipping date for the movie. So um, a lot of the confusion, I think, comes from that. And a lot of these weird moments that many of us had as young people. I mean, I think the broadcast that you all are talking about is from 1989 or so, it's right? Maybe, maybe 88. 88, yeah. yeah. It's late, late 80s. So it it's, still, it's a couple of years before 39. It's a couple <laughs> of years before the, uh, the Laserdisc came out, right? So even, I mean, looking back now through the fog of history, it's easy to look at it like, oh, this happened and this happened and this happened. But there wasn't like updates, you know, like there weren't newsletters going up being like, well, in exactly 12 months, we'll see the rest of the footage coming out in the Laserdisc special edition that you probably saw on the CBS broadcast. You know, it was just a time where everything was so nebulous. But I want to say, what i said fox broadcast fox broadcast <laughs> i don't know what cable is um you know you're talking uh christian about your friend having a laser disc player hooked up to a vcr <laughs> and i'm just thinking this is the most 90s moment like I i'm picturing you doing this while you're on rollerblades for some reason like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean yep. but for for me it might be the same vhs set that perry was talking about uh, my, you know, the, the the aliens that I grew up watching was not the special edition. It was whatever version was in the the now playing video rental store in downtown Madison, Connecticut, which subsequently was seized by the FBI because it was had was in cahoots with the mafia apparently. But they had some great horror movies, and they were very nice <laughs> about renting it to children. So you know, I got to watch a lot of stuff. It was whatever whatever edition they had, which it feels to me like it was the original VHS home video release. You know, it was just it was it was pan and scan you know, the theatrical version of it. So it, a lot of the time, when I, even today when I'm watching it, I'm kind of like comparing it to that. And we do have that copy of it as well that we watch on an actual VCR that we got in the, in the basement on a CRT television, which is fun. Um, but I, I really didn't know the special edition was a thing until I was probably 10 or 11 or 
12 or something. I don't like, but at some point in some used video store, I got a, like a three VHS set of the original trilogy. And it was like copper almost. It had this like beautiful warrior Zeno on it. It was like bronze kind yes. of copper color. Do yes. you know what I'm talking about? I yes, love I do. This because there's two set. versions. You could get the copper version or the silver version. And they yes. were like embossed. Yes, they, they were so, embossed. Yeah. Yeah. They were beautiful. I remember them at, at uh, Blockbuster. So they were on the shelf and you could purchase it because they had the videos that you could purchase and they had a mm-hmm. sci-fi section and they were all the alien videos. And I was like, oh, I'm even for that right now. Yeah, that, that particular edition was so dope. I was like in love. And, and it had the widescreen option with the special edition on it for aliens. So first off, I was like, widescreen? What is that? Right? Yes. And then in addition to that, I was like, special edition of aliens? It's 17 minutes longer? What the fuck? I, I truly did not. Your baby's not in earshot anymore. Perry. No, no. Okay. He's heard worse, Patrick. She's heard That's true. She has. She's been watching aliens right now. Um, but I feel like uh, it, it was really, truly revelatory for me. And, and it was just tremendously exciting. So then anyway, I'm watching it and I immediately had a bad reaction to it. And I, I still to this day don't like the special edition very much because I actually agree for once with, I guess it makes sense. It would be broadcast on Fox because they were the ones that owned the rights to it. Right. That because they're also a cable company uh, or they were whatever. Anyway, I, I feel like I uh, it ruined for me the flow of the film. And although Cameron disagrees with that, he thinks that it doesn't do anything bad to the flow. To me, it added too many stumbling blocks. And I and I still personally feel like the automated turret sections are just, they make me like legitimately laugh when I watch them. Um, so I think for me, because the, the original theatrical version that I had access to imprinted on me so heavily, it's just, I've never quite shaken that. This is something that we run into with Blade Runner all the time, right? With people who defend the voiceover, you know, like that's the hill they've chosen to die on. Um, and I love that about them because I, because I, I think that version sounds ridiculous. But again, I didn't fall in love with that edition of Blade Runner. You know, I, I fell in love after that. And similar to this, like I, it's the opposite. I fell in love with that original one. And then this other thing came out and it always felt like I, I get it. And it's cool being able to see this stuff, but the production value wasn't quite as good. It kind of slows things down. I didn't. I didn't get me in the heart the same way personally. I, I feel that. that. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, sorry. Um, like I feel that with the the same way with Star Wars. Whenever you know all the editions, it like pains me every time I see all of those things because the original version is imprinted fully. Having said that, I think because I did see the Sentry Guns first, it wasn't as you know. It wasn't shocking or so different um my i'm sort of in between as far as which one i prefer i think there's a definitive version out there where i would keep some of the scenes and not and lose some um so i'm sort of in between i and i i go back and forth between watching the special and the theatrical release Mm -hmm. sometimes i just want like you said the really the, the the pacing i think of the theatrical definitely outshines the the special edition. And the special edition, when it aired, at least for me on TV, there was commercial break. So you're already breaking up the film. So when they cut back and then there's right. the sentry guns or whatever, it's my memory of it isn't jarring because I'm already being taken out of it and then brought back to it. So it flow. I mean, I prefer the theatrical. I don't dislike the the special edition, but I do think that the sequence at Wayland or at Hadley's Hope does just stop the movie cold for me. Um, and I know James Cameron 
reportedly shot all that footage, but it doesn't feel like it. It feels very different. It feels like a TV show. It feels the the acting is not as good. The writing isn't as good. It's just less impactful when you see Newt's family and they go into you know the derelict and all that. That all of those scenes just felt cheaper. I don't know why, and I know I'm not the only one who feels this way. But that said, I do love uh, the addition of Amanda Ripley um, and Ripley sitting at the uh, on that bench with the the back projection and the sentry guns are interesting, but the, the Hadley's hope it is the only part that really pulls me out of the experience. Hi, sorry. I'm late. I've been running behind all morning. Is there any word about my daughter? Um, I really think we should worry about the hearing now because we don't have a lot of time. Okay. I read your deposition and it's great. If you just stick to that, I think we'll be fine. The thing to remember is there are going to be a lot of heavyweights in there. You've got feds and interstellar commerce commission, colonial administration, insurance company guys. You Do know. you have any news about my daughter? Well, we did come up with some information. Why don't we sit down? I guess on the other end of that, Jamie, for me, as I was saying, you know, me just wanting to know more. And maybe this was like my imagination, too, as a kid, like, thinking about these families and like me being naive and innocent at the time. Um, After you see what happens to the Jordans and then it goes back to cut cuts back and then Burke and then like go see Ripley and they're like, Hey, we lost contact with the colony. That was where my brain was like, Oh my God, like what could have happened to them? Like everybody's gone. They lost complete contact. And then, so when they get on the planet and they're walking through, you know, the hallways with the, you know the holes of acid and the grating and and you see like the barricade put up you're just like for me as a as a kid back when i first saw it i was like whoa like what happened here like oh my gosh because you see you see that bits and pieces you see just a little bit more into that world of the, of those people that lived and and you know were working on hadley's hope and everything like that and so for for me that's where it just added so much more of I, I don't know that emotion into that feeling into it, and uh, that's really what drive what drives it for me. And and so I don't I, I guess it doesn't like I t- I totally get it from a, a film you know putting the movie together standpoint of how that can break up the um, just the momentum of what's happening on the screen. Uh, but yeah, I mean, again, I just loved it for that. Well, the Hadley's Hope stuff was actually day one. It was the first stuff that was filmed. And that kind of makes sense because you want the set to be clean for those scenes. And then they went back and redressed mm-hmm. it. And Sigourney Weaver was, was still on another project. So they were, they were getting started before they had her. This is, this is a fight that I've had since, since the special edition came out of, do you need to see the colony before you see the Marines walk through those halls? And again, my, my friend Rachel felt very, very strongly that her imagination was better than anything that could be shown. But when I saw the, the, the TV version or whatever, and you just see the halls and there's the, the stuff dripping and, and hanging and whatnot. I couldn't quite clean it up enough to be a safe and happy place. It always seemed like a haunted house. And so here's a whole sequence of Marines walking through a haunted house until they find a scary monster in a tube and a little girl. So when I saw the footage with Mac McDonald, who I loved from Nightbreed, and I loved him in uh, Red Dwarf as the captain of the ship, and, and there's like 50 people crammed into the space and it's, it's well lit and there's stuff going on and there's hustle and bustle and there's kids. It fleshed it out for me in a way that then makes their, uh, the, the Marines moving through that same space 
so much more impactful. So I, I absolutely would, would keep, like, like Andy was saying, if you could make your own version, I would absolutely keep the Hadley's Hope sequence, but I would cut it just before we meet the Jordans, because that's where I feel like um, it, it doesn't quite hold up the, uh, even though they, they were able to salvage the, um, the original derelict model that was sitting in Bob Burns's yard in California and they, and they, they were able to dress it and everything. It just doesn't look quite right. And when they go inside the, the, the hole in the side of the ship, there's like plastic tubing hanging down. Yeah. That shot looks so <laughs> yeah. bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even though the, the face hugger tightening on his neck, they did a great job with all of that, but it's a little on the nose. So do we want to go sequence by sequence through the special edition or are we just going to kind of jump around? I'm curious. I, I'm happy to do, to do whatever. I, I, I want to say, I want to clarify something that having heard a lot of good points about s- some stuff I've said before we do that. I also think <laughs> something that you're saying though, that a couple of you are talking about that I like a lot, this idea of assembling our own edition of it, that could be a cool conversation I think to have also, right? Like what are the things we would take and, things we would leave um so i guess so so I, i'll propose let's like try that first a little bit and then kind of we can go through you know more in depth but before we do um in terms of things that i would keep there are you know the, the, when we talk about the special edition we talk about the big sequences a lot right we talk about the jordans we talk about Hattie's hope we talk about the turrets we talk about amanda ripley we talk about like the big memorable changes but there's also a ton of very minor changes in it that i would keep almost all of the shots of the sulaco the shots of the hangar you know getting to see more of the technology they were using more time with the matte paintings and the beautiful sets they had um you know the beats with gorman and and burke like the, the all these these little moments that are just sort of dilated a little bit in the special edition those to me i'm happy with so 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 i guess I'll start with this for for me, my special edition would include all of that, but it would not include it would it would it would it would maybe have uh, Ellen Ripley finding a photograph of Amanda somewhere in a registry and 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 maybe having a moment of realization and then cutting past that um to keep it a little bit more kind of mysterious and a little bit less because for me that moment is dropped it really it, it's it just becomes like a setup for newt and for her relationship like it has to be justified for some reason where it doesn't because their relationship is so beautiful and legitimate on its own um you know i don't have any issues with the amanda ripley content at all it's just for me it feels like it's kind of hammered a little bit on the nose early on and then kind of dropped um so like I, I might be okay if we saw like a photograph that she had a daughter and then that was kind of it but in terms of the the colony stuff Christian, I both agree and disagree with you. I agree with you in that the Jordan stuff should not be there at all. I, but the things before that, I, I mean, those are sequences that I pause and go back. Like the Lidecker stuff we were talking about you know, earlier. Like those sequences with them where the, the company people are discussing stuff. Like I love that. Seeing them stressed out and sweaty, running around this busy place with kids on bikes and stuff. It's, it's, it's great to see that. I don't want it in the movie though. And the reason for that is precisely what your friend Rachel was talking about, which is for, for me, there's something more powerful about how drawn into those initial sequences. Like when I see the donut on the desk, I don't want to know the backstory of why there's a donut there, right? I love the fact that there's just a donut on the desk. And like to, to me, that one donut says essentially all of the storytelling that you need to know. Because that one little, that one little, you know, memento 
speaks to a whole world that's been lost, you know? So, uh, so for me, like, although I, I get a, a huge kick out of having that content and I would always love to have it as a special feature to watch and to comb through, it doesn't necessarily inform the movie. It makes the movie feel a little bit more literal to me than I want it to. And I, I think I agree with Rachel also in that, um, not because my imagination is great because it's not James Cameron. I can assure you has a better imagination than I do, but that my imagination for me is better than his is for me. Like my subjective viewing of the movie is the best one that I can have. And for me, when I see that donut, I imagine all these, these things, these, 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 you know, voices that we'll never get to hear again. And it haunts me a lot, you know? So, so, so for, for me, that, that feels powerful. Um, but yeah, I'm curious for for the rest of you, if you want to kind of get like, what are some moments you would keep and some moments you would get rid of? Patrick, first of all, every word that you just said in the last like eight minutes that you just, <laughs> I agree with 100%. My favorites are the little scenes that no one really talks about. The little beats, the character, like the extra little layers of character that we sometimes get. Those are my favorites. And I think those add so much. And going to the donut, I 100% agree because I remember watching it and seeing that donut and wondering like, oh my God, like what happened here? Because who would leave a donut? Who would leave a half eaten donut unless something was happening immediately right outside <laughs> the, that the door? Ultimate right? Sin, right? Question <laughs> though, I thought the donuts in the theatrical, the hamsters in the special edition. Yeah, Isn't the donut? Oh yeah, the donut yeah, is. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. But but he's saying, I think he's saying, like that's all we needed. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, I'm saying the donut yeah, yeah, yeah. that we see in the right. theatrical. Got it. I, I was confused that, yeah. for a second. Really. <laughs> we got donuts. We got hamsters. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think so much is conveyed in that donut. Like, not only did these people live and they were working, and but they something happened immediately that caused that person to leave a half-eaten donut there. Um, so. I, 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 that donut stuck out for me too. Um, as far as some of the ones that I love, as you said, I love those like extra drawn out scenes. Part of some of my favorite moments in the, in this film are the quiet moments in between all the action. Um, I love the little moments. Like one of my favorite is when Ripley's about to go into the complex. She's standing outside. It's raining. That's I think that's my favorite extra addition because it conveys so much. It conveys the fact that this woman has such PTSD. She knows what's on the other side. She's, you know, going in anyway, this, re this look on her face. And then it also conveys the empathetic side of Hicks. Like he, you know, it's, you see him noticing and, Everyone else is just doing their thing. He takes the time. He pauses. He can see on her face that she has been through something. Um, I love that moment. That's one of my faves. Um, so, but I agree with you on all the things you said. Um, Good old Dwayne. Good old Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> that moment at the South Lock, that's the first time that Ripley has set foot on this planet. You know, she was on board the Nostromo when it landed there, but she didn't go outside. And it also encapsulates right there, everything that Gorman and Burke promised her about this trip has already not happened. Like, they, oh, you'll be safe. You won't have to go in, blah, blah, blah. Here she is in the rain. No one's really paying attention to her. They're, you know, they're saying it's secure already. And she knows that it isn't. Ah, oh, 
I, I can't believe that that got chopped of all the things, you know, just come on. It's a great moment. The Amanda Ripley thing. I'm really, really torn about it because for Sigourney Weaver, that was the moment that defined the character for this entire film. And she was heartbroken that it got taken out. But, and I love, I love that it's, it's Sigourney's mother in the photo. I love what it's given us in the expanded universe. All of those are good things. I agree with you, uh, Patrick, that it, it does kind of get dropped and it does feel a little bit like a connect the dots. You know, she was a mom, maybe she'll be a mom again, but it's beautiful to see it play out in the, in the special edition where she's lost her daughter, she finds a daughter. But if you take that out and you're watching the theatrical cut, Ripley is 100% not a mom. And there's nothing in Alien that ever implies that she was a mother. So when she has this, this maternal instinct and this easy way with this girl of, of calming her and getting her to open up and talk, um, it's almost like it's a revelation for both of them. Like Newt needs this connection, but Ripley needs this connection and didn't even know it. And as much as I'm the champion of the special edition on this podcast tonight, I think that scene maybe needs to go. Um, I think that it, it gives the character of Ripley uh, a much more interesting arc if, if she comes into this situation and discovers that she has this ability. I agree. It also pains me because it is Sigourney's favorite. <laughs> um, so, of course, she knows Ripley better than anyone. But to me as well, I, yes, there's that maternal um, relationship with Newt. But to me, I feel the strongest connection between them is this like shared sense of, of surviving, you know, and, and that experience, only those two know what it's like to be the sole survivor. Um, and I think that's what, that's the basis, at least initially of their connection. Um, and I wish, like you said, like, and, and literally Burke drops it in her lap. It is, it is kind of dropped in there. And part of me doesn't think that Ripley, the mother would have left her daughter in the first alien. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that would have been something she would have done. I always question that. It creates a, when you apply the special edition information back to alien, then you have to create a whole backstory that gets interesting. It's, it's pretty dystopian that she's for whatever reason, she has to go on Mm -hmm. what we assume it's 10 months each way. Plus however long they're on fetus. She's away for a long time, potentially two and a half to three years so when she says she's going to be home for her daughter's 11th birthday, you know, she left when her daughter was eight. That's hard. Um, but again, the first film, there's nothing in there. There's, right. there's no moment where she's thinking about her daughter. Now, the moment in um, Alien Isolation in the video game, when you get to the recording that Ripley leaves for her daughter, that makes it worthwhile. That's an yeah, amazing. That's, I agree. And it's a gurney we've heard forming that. So, oh my gosh. But the question is, in terms of her maternal instinct, I would suggest that you can have that and not be a mother, or you can have a fatherly instinct and not be a father. I'm not a father, but I have a fatherly instinct yep. for sure with my nephews, with children in general. Um, and I feel like it works for Ripley. Maybe I think to your point, Andy, it is this idea that they've lost everything, both Newt and Ripley have lost everything. And it's more than this mother-daughter thing. It's we're similar people here. And all we have are each other. 
And to me, it works in that way. And I, I, I think to Patrick's earlier point, I don't, I think it is a little bit on the nose. I don't think we need to find out why Ripley can connect with this little girl. Right. I think most humans that are somewhat functional sees a child in distress, they're going to respond. Um, and if there's no one around, they're going to care for that child. You see stories about that, people finding children and taking them in. Um, so I, I, I don't think Ripley needs the Amanda backstory. I think it's interesting, but I, I, I feel like she's she towers above that. She's It's the kind of information that she doesn't need as a, as a character because there's, she has it all anyways for me. So that's, that's for me, one scene that could go. Um, but again, to Patrick and Andy's point, all of the little things, I agree as well. I think just the moment when he introduces himself as Dwayne and she introduces herself as Ellen, those just little tiny little magic moments here and there and the, and the extra time you see. And again, the hamster shot, which I remember when I saw... Um, I just think I remember thinking, oh, cute. But it was also really sad to like this poor thing was left and it's been sitting in this cage for. And I, I don't remember. I remember when I first saw it, like there's because I was a kid. I'm like, oh, there's a hamster there. And of course, I was obsessed. I had hamsters myself. So that was the first place that I went to. But before we get further into this, because I want to hear from Perry. Did you guys ever have the this time or, or this period? where you had seen the television version with the extra and you were like, no, I know that this exists and you're talking about it with other people. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then finally years later, you see the special edition and you're like, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. It's real. <laughs> like I, for years, like was like, is there, isn't there a scene where these guns are shooting in the hallway and friends of mine who were adults, they're like, Jamie, I don't, I, I think you're imagining that. I'm like, no, but I really saw them and they weren't believing me. Um, and then finally, I don't know, five years later, however many years later, in 1922, they released a special edition. <laughs> <laughs> You're, the adult people are like, should we send Jamie to the doctor? Yeah. Like, what the fuck <laughs> is he talking about? <laughs> Dwayne? Like, what? This is unbelievable. 20 meters in closing. 15. How many? Can't tell. Lots. D-guns down 50%. C-guns right behind it. So, I, I'll just say, uh, for me, I'm, Christian, I'm just as much as a champion of everything. Like, well, I was going to say, Jamie, not to, the hamster scene is like the only scene that I would cut. Just because, oh, <laughs> my buddy, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, I Only love everything, seconds. I love everything too. For the Andy, the same moments, like all of that is so good, so 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 good in the film. And, um, yeah, I, I just love everything. The hamster scene just didn't do anything for me, and then I almost thought it like detract a little bit before they like find Newt. You're like, oh, then you're kind of already thinking like, oh, well, is it like not an alien then or something like that? Like, could it be another like just, you know, and then um, and then I wasn't like as scared when she like jumps out and like Drake almost shoots her. And, you're, and uh, anyway, so that's the only thing I could I would potentially cut in my version. But the one piece I wanted to add from what you guys are were talking about to the. uh uh, the Amanda Ripley in Ripley finding out about her daughter. Part of it is um, 
on the other end of it, it, it gives an insight into like how much more of a D bag Burke is. And it was something that always kind of stuck with me in like hating that character. I, I really like Paul Reiser. Cause like he really does a great job at, um, I just love how much you like hate him. And I, and I really like actors and films who like play that role where you just like, God, you're like the worst meanest <laughs> person ever. Or you like betrayed this person and you hate them so much. And you're like, God, that's so good. Because I think it's like hard to do that as, as a genuine human being, you know? So when someone can pull that off really well acting, uh, it's great. And I love that. And so even when I watch aliens more and more, like even, when I was watching with my little Quinn just these past two days, I was like watching Burke a lot more. And I'm like, Oh, in the beginning, it's, he's like, you know, he's like, has anyone explained to you how long you've been gone yet? And when he tells, I know this is in the theatrical, but when he's talking to Ripley and telling her about it, it's almost to me like sounding like he's lying to her. Like, Oh yeah, you drifted past the star system. You know, it's like, Oh, it's lucky we even found you. And it's just like, did, did they want to find her? Like, did Wayland, you know, did the company really want to find Ripley? And so, like, maybe it was blind luck that Salvage Team did. So then he drops the news about her daughter, and then he doesn't really care. He's like, can't we just talk about this, like, after the meet? You know, like, he's more about wanting, you know, to get business done. And uh, which then just builds on top of, like, what he does then at Hadley's Hope. And, like, and so then I just hated him that much more. And so that that was just along the the i love the daughter piece of it and, and all of that as well but um two to like for a, just a tinch more of like that insight into burke um is is something why i would i would definitely mm. do that as well but yeah also just as a <clears throat> the prop nerd um when he opens up his briefcase and there's the photo of the daughter of uh yeah of, of amanda ripley all grown up um he has paper that has the little I think it's called continuous paper. You know, it used to be on the on the, yep. the dot matrix. Yeah. <laughs> it's got the little things on the side you'd have to rip off. <laughs> so I love the idea that 100 and something years in the future, we're going to go back to. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I also am anti hamster because a couple yes, of reasons. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, it's some a, controversy <laughs> on this episode tonight. <laughs> it it breaks up though the the tension from when you know when they land on the planet and the, the whole entry into the complex you're in this continuous sense of you know what's going to happen what's going to happen and it isn't in the theatrical cut it isn't interrupted until the facehugger comes at burke but in the special edition we get this little hamster business um and it's kind of funny because hudson overreacted or whatever uh also when they come through the door of the room they've i can't remember what the term is for it, but they've like overcranked or undercranked the, the camera to make it look like they're moving faster than they really are. And it's really obvious. There's a sort of like slapstick kind of movement as they come into the room. And they mm -hmm. use that technique for the aliens in a couple of shots and it works just fine. But when you're talking about people, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's a good look, but I have one piece of trivia. Um, you can't see it in the movie, but in some of the behind the scenes Polaroids, the continuity Polaroids they were taking of the various spaces. And I believe it's the room that, uh, the Vasquez and Hudson go into looking and where, where they find the hamsters, you can see the big wheel. So the little kid with the big hmm. wheel from earlier in the movie, this is his room. Those are his hamsters. Holy oh, shit. Oh, that's cool. That. No. He's dead. Oh. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's dead. Oh, my. Oh, hamster. That's crazy. 
Wow. I, I just, I, just briefly, I, I love the idea of the hamster taking Newt's role over, like in this third crazy edition where it's like they're just trying to save a hamster for the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah, know? because the the uh, thing's going off, right? The motion the tracker. The motion tracker, they, right. That's yeah, right, because I setup. forgot about that. So it takes a while. So it's it's redundant. I absolutely yeah. agree. I mean, yeah. I think it would be one thing if they went into the room and you see it there, but it's completely redundant. It goes on and yeah, on, and then it happens again, right? So it's like, yeah. It's, yeah. 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 There is the bloody handprint, when it's the only sign of, of human... Uh, casualties. Hey, everything else, we see alien blood in places. But um, when they when they go, they, the motion tracker is going off, and they go up to the door. You can see a bloody handprint on the door. Uh, Jamie, you actually pointed this out in the um, uh, commentary track that you guys did. But I'm just adding it here. Wow, you're posterity. good. You're so good. <laughs> Look at that. I am also anti hamster, so I think I think we win Dog on this can one. Go <laughs> There has to be some special edition <laughs> shirt out there with a hamster joke on. Like, if that doesn't exist, <laughs> oh, there will have, be. We have that's going to gonna be that our um, alien, alien day, day 2022. We, this it's fucking a hamster, hamster joke. Because <laughs> <laughs> it sums up so much about the special edition, right? Because it's like a legitimate sequence that was filmed for it, but it's it's ridiculous if you take it out of context. It's 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 something. It's funny. It, it to me, it sums up a lot. Well, the ridiculous part really right. is the motion tracker portion of it. It's not right. so much the the seeing the hamster it's the motion tracker and right but, but it's ridiculous repeating it happens like yeah. <laughs> multiple yeah. times now in the movie yeah. right yeah it's just, which it's, is it's, the metaphor you know the hamster wheel we're just keep we're just keep <laughs> treading through the same what and stuff. i think and i think that's a pro, that ends up you see that in movies where it's it's what they're doing is they're foreshadowing something that's going to happen later you see that in movies all the time because even though james cameron is a brilliant writer and aliens is brilliant you'll see in other films they think that the audience needs a foreshadow for you to tell them a, a story beat later on when in fact audiences don't you don't need to foreshadow anything just tell your story um so i think it really really works without that scene so in the theatrical cut we hear the the motion tracker it has that thump 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 of not picking up a signal and so the first time we hear it actually escalate and and everyone's heartbeat goes up with it is for newt and, and then, of course, you know, mm -hmm. why it, James Cameron was was much younger and this was only his third film. So I think that I think his instinct was that maybe he was training the audience of, OK, this is what's going to sound like when there's something in front of you. Mm -hmm. Oops, it was just a hamster, you know, but it really didn't need that. And that to me and then I want I want Perry to talk because I think I cut him off like 10 minutes ago. Oh. So I want to bookmark that I'm coming to you after this. But before that, I, I want to say, to me, that's an issue with almost all of the added footage, other than those nice little additional panning shots and things in, in the special edition to me, is that it feels amateurish to me. Part of what is so astounding about Aliens is that it's this, it was 32, I think, when he made it, right? Is you have this neophyte director with so few credits under his belt, making this thing that just feels like the most polished, like mature you know, uh, like intuitive, I mean, like intuitive in the true sense of that word film, right? Where it's just all of these, these, these decisions make instant sense to anyone watching it. It just communicates visually perfectly what it's going for. And then you get the special edition, which basically only adds to it things to say, oh, here's what actually was happening behind this in case you missed it. This is why she cares about Newt so much. This is why you should be nervous because like, look at these guns are running out of um, ammo and we're going to watch this happen for two minutes so you don't miss it. You know, here's the ammo counter again in case you were wondering how many were left. Oh, we're also going to tell you verbally what we're looking <laughs> at on the ammo counter, right? 
um, like, this is why you should be upset about the colonies because look at all these kids that were playing there and now they're gone, right? So, you know, now you don't, you don't just have a sneaker for a clue. You can watch them actually interacting with their family. To me, it feels like Cameron giving a lot of just easy outs to the audience. It's like the dumbing down that really doesn't need to happen because the film functions so flawlessly without it. That said, though, and, and again, I'm not anti-special edition. I'm just opposed to it being definitive for me personally, because those sequences are all really interesting, and they do they're all they're all there for like valid reasons. It's just they don't need to be there. And the hamster, I think, is just a great example of that. It's just it's it's gratuitous. I mean, it, Alien is a movie that I, I've said many times and will say forever. It's literally in my bio on our website. is a perfect movie to me, and I, I think it is a, a perfect film. I think the original release of Alien is something that I would not be able to change anything from if i were to try to change anything from it it would be the number of fake out jump scares that happen before we get an actual reveal of the creature because to me there's a couple too many moments where you know the face hugger falls down or where somebody knocks something over or jones jumps out at somebody it just it happens quite a lot of course it's a convention that goes back to early 20th century film something hitchcock did incredibly beautifully well it's it's not like you know having fake out jump scares i mean literally it's called like a cat jump right it's like a convention in film um alien does that quite a lot with aliens i feel like cameron by including the hamster for example was was almost saying i'm gonna like what christian was saying i'm gonna telegraph to you that you should be scared so like just be scared. You know, like, here we go. Like, here's something tense. We're going to give it to you. Here's something else that's tense. And the, the the turrets for me, the automated turrets are the same problem where it's like, trust me, this is just as intense as you think it is. So let's just like live with it for a while, you know, whereas the movie doesn't need it because the movie's creating that tension on its own without any additional, you know, handholds. Anyway, Perry, go ahead. What were you going to say an hour ago? No, well, I have something to add to this, but I, uh, what all I, I was just adding on to that, Christian, you were talking about the speed in the, how they, you know, there's parts where you can tell they sped it up. And one of the ones I love is when Bishop is doing the knife trick on Hudson. And then like right at the end when he's done and you're, they like cut to a shot of the whole table, the whole dinner table. Um, you get a, you get a, like a minute set where everyone's like reacting like really fast. And and it's, it's really funny if you, if you watch for that, I, I always, I always catch that and I laugh and that's all I wanted to say about that. Patrick. But um, you can see, you can see Vasquez specifically in that moment because of her bandana. Like it's very clear that she's like bobbing really, really quick. Yes. In the background. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but no, I, I, uh, the more and more you talk about it, Patrick, like I, you know, I'll watch any version of this movie, no matter what, uh, and still be satisfied and love it. Uh, and I think too, like when I owned the quadrilogy, uh, and, ha- and was just like, you know, that was something I'd really appreciate about, you know, DVDs at the time you had the special features and you could watch the deleted scenes and things like that, where like, I too, like would also think these are so perfect for that, um, that sort of feature to have like with these movies or these box sets or however you want to own them um two at the time because i because i know like as you're saying with alien and uh just the sequencing and and how the motion and and the momentum as i said before is going and you're building and you're building up to something um there definitely are those moments in aliens uh where sure it can it can detract from that a, a little bit um again the only piece of for me on the on the sentry gun scene uh and again maybe this is from just because of my imagination as a kid and when i was watching this too but i just loved 
that um you're getting like an insight into this into the aliens like into the creep like them coming at the guns and then they stop and then you hear them like going to the next section or whatever and and hudson's like freaked out and you're like oh man like this is freaking scary man like these things are actually you can hear them coming through like that was more that was my mindset at the time too which is and now i just enjoy it for like hudson's reactions and like counting down the bullets and it it is it's a little cheesy and it's fun but yeah i mean like i enjoyed that part too because it was just added a little bit more to the to that whole that whole sequence before like ripley goes to to lay down with newt and things like that but you're just like man they're coming like they are coming like what are these guys gonna do when it happens like are they safe are they not you know like what's going on and that's what um i i really loved about that sequence a lot Check it out. I am the ultimate badass. We're going to get into the sentry guns. Oh, God. <laughs> the theatrical version. So they, they come out of the hive. They're, they're called the dropship. The dropship crashes. They go to Hadley's Hope. And what? They, they weld a couple doors shut. And then they have a whole bunch of other little mini adventures. And the aliens are not in the movie. For 15 minutes, there's no aliens. They talk about, well, I won't let it come to that. I'll shoot you. But, and then all the Burke stuff comes out, but there's no aliens for 15 minutes in the theatrical cut. And then they cut the power, but they never tried to come over. They never, you know, tested the the perimeters. So yes, there there are issues with the sentry guns. The, The very first one for me is we go from cataloging the weapons. Oh, we've only got 50 rounds in the pulse rifles, the one flame unit, it's only half full. But we've got these amazing guns and they're really gonna come in handy. You know, his whole, his whole demeanor changes when he delivers that line. It's like, oh man, could we have done another take where he's hoping that they'll help and maybe they're gonna be good. But it's a little kid in the candy store for that moment. Now, this is where I'm gonna take issue with Patrick, Andy, and Jamie doing your commentary track. It's not the same sequence. The, <laughs> the sentry gun, there's two distinct moments with the sentry guns. The first sentry gun, it's wall to wall and the aliens get through. That's the point of that is that they're, they're coming in huge numbers and they will do whatever it takes to get through. And then the second sentry gun sequence is saying they've almost made it through and they pull back and they're having to think of a new way to get in. So we're given the sense that in this moment, we are safe for the time being, you know, our defenses have worked and, and the point is made that they could just walk in because there's only a couple of rounds left, but the aliens don't know that. So we're seeing the aliens problem solve. We're understanding that they're trying to get to our heroes. So our heroes are not safe. No, we don't see them. We see the recycled uh, exploding alien shot like four times, but I truly believe if this had been in a theatrical cut, they would have shot some extra exploding aliens at Stan Winston's shop and thrown them in there. But this is all that they had when they put the thing together later. So I, I don't know, guys, come on. It's, I watched the theatrical cut today for the first time in forever, and I just cannot stand that there's no aliens for this whole sequence. I agree in some ways that the sentry guns set up what the aliens are going to do. I think that the, the aliens being shot by the sentry guns and then they back off where they're backing off, they're going silent. And then you see them eventually in the ceiling. It sets that up. I, I get it. And it works. Um, and I've heard people kind of make fun of the sentry guns before, and I never understood why they were. I'm like, it seemed to make sense to me. Um, but I know that there's some like 
I guess for lack of better terms, plot holes in terms of like, oh, we're, we're low on rounds, but we have all these guns here. Um, well, they're, they're not compatible weapons. I mean, the, yeah, you know, the sentry gun, it, they're, they're legitimately, it's the, it's the same two MG42s that were the smart guns in the earlier part of the film. They just, you know, Bapti had, had given the weapons to the production and they just redressed it. Oh, I see. So, I mean, it's a, it's a different caliber round. Got it. Christian, in our commentary, did we say it was the same? I, I want to say, I remember saying they just recycled some of the footage, but I, I guess we, <laughs> what did we, I don't you, even know. You guys. You just, know it better than what we did, apparently. You took a big dump on the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you, you were having a good time with the fact that they're telling us and showing us the countdown. <laughs> and I, the I agree. How many rounds could there be? Let's find out. I, a different way. <laughs> you know I did cool? always think that was amusing. I yeah. actually like the sentry gun, so I don't know. Maybe if I was dumping on it, I don't know. Maybe it was like peer pressure dumping. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. Um, <laughs> it was like okay. three years ago. <laughs> it was. Yeah. You know what's um, cool, though? The, the actual footage of the sentry guns oh. was second unit. It was shot by Stan Winston, but... It, this is nerdy, but it was shot on the same day that James Cameron was filming Hudson's big speech in the, uh, in the APC that also got cut out of the film, you know, the, the knives wow, and sharp sticks yes. speech. So those were happening at the same time, which is kind of cool. Mm. Oh. oh, and the, the, um, the computers that they're, they're looking at the countdowns on, um, or straight off the shelf. They were grid case, personal computers or, or portable computers available in the eighties, NASA used them, but it's such a weird looking design that if you look at it now, or if you show it to somebody now, it looks like another piece of weird sci-fi technology and it looks like the motion tracker, but they didn't take anything off it. It's just the, that's, that's what those computers looked like. I want to say just, just before we move on from the, from the, um, from the turrets, from the centuries, um, here's my problem with it. So there sometimes in aliens, the creatures are treated too disposable for my liking. That's always been one of my main problems with it. Similarly, in Covenant, I don't like that the, and I, I think it's intentional in Covenant. I hope it is. I'm putting a lot of stock in that, but who knows. That um, that the aliens that we see in it are stupid and aggressive and that they use like heuristics to get what they want. By heuristics, what I mean is problem solving that's based on failing many times and then figuring out the right answer. So problem solving based around how cats get, you know, something off the top of a fridge, right? Is they fall five times and, and then they figure out how to do it and then they go around the back. To me, the creature in the first film, which it, actually I was just having this conversation with the kids yesterday because they were asking me like, which is my favorite? And I was like, it's always going to be the big chap from the first movie because to me, it embodies exactly what the creature is, which is not a heuristic problem solver. It's some, it's, it's something that takes time and thinks and enjoys the process of hunting in, in some, some way, right? It's, it's very deliberate with what it does. Um, and I think that uh, in, in the, by watching, by having the, you know, the sentries, uh, screw up the aliens and then having them like, you know, pitter patter around to the other hallway or whatever's going on, then having them get thwarted there also. And then having them like pitter patter back around again, to me, it makes them feel like a bunch of like dumb animals that are just, you know, being met with just a ton of bullets and, you know, and that's it. And then they, they just sort of give up and they move on. Whereas if you don't have any activity from any xenomorphic entity at all for 15 minutes in the middle of this action movie, 
That's very frightening to me and, and to me feels more appropriate. It feels like they're luring them towards the core or they're luring them towards the hive, or it feels like they're waiting for them to have to be in a room with a great ceiling in it that they know they have access to and that they've mapped it out, right? In the first film, there's a reason why the creature gets Dallas when it does, right? It's, it's because Dallas has walked himself into a trap that he didn't know he had set for himself, right? Which is beautiful. There's a reason why we don't see the full reveal of the creature until Brett gets taken. And the way that it happens is so balletic and, and haunting. It's because the creature knew that would happen. The creature was watching and observing and ready for him. So to me, that silence is really important. And that silence is really missing from aliens for a lot of it which is why it's it's even though I adore the movie it's my third favorite of the franchise it just it, to me the quietness is lacking in some of it the theatrical edition i think preserves more of that whereas the special edition fills in like even those little vacuums that we got with just too much for me and that's mm-hmm. that's that's one of the reasons why i continue to dump on those turrets a little bit it's also worth worth pointing out that the legacy of the sentry guns is alien colonial marines it's aliens fire team elite the the idea of massive waves of aliens and you just shoot them and none of it matters. That's, that is what that led to because I think that without that sequence, even the hive battle, it's still not, it's not a bloodbath where the, the humans are just mowing down aliens. That, that you're right. The sentry gun is the only sequence that we get that kind of carnage, even though it's the same shot four times in a row. <laughs> in the original alien, there's the idea of where is it? What's it doing? We don't know. We don't know what it's doing. That's what makes it scary. And I think in Aliens, that veil is pulled back a little bit. Oh, we know what they're doing. We know where they are. We know. And I think not knowing what they're doing makes them more, makes them scarier. It makes them more of a threat because they could be anywhere. But it also, and I know people point this gun at Aliens all the time in terms of like, oh, James Cameron dumbed them down. They're bugs. I don't think that that's necessarily true. I do think that there is some merit to that. And I think the sentry guns, even though I understand why they work and why that scene is there, and it works narratively, it also does kind of make them seem more like animals just going to the slaughter. And I, but the original creature, the big chap and alien, it was unlike any creature we'd ever seen before. It wasn't moving like any creature we had seen before. Whereas in aliens, they ended up being, oh, a queen, a hive, and her drones. And this is what the drones are doing. And they're out to get more lot. They're out to get more victims or whatever. And so I, I, it's, it's a tough one. And I think that to me, it's just, it pulls the mystery from them a little bit and makes them more, Oh, okay. And I don't want to feel that way about Giger's creature. Um, But as Patrick said, I mean, I think aliens is the film I've seen the most. Um, And it's the film that made the most impression of, on me as a kid and as an adult, for sure. I mean, it's informed me the most, even though I love alien three, the best. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting conversation. I'm, I'm glad they went with a theatrical cut. I do think it's, it's a, it just works more for me and retains the mystery a little bit more. Harry, what do you think of the sentry guns? I really enjoyed that sequence, but Patrick and Jamie, now that you guys put it that way i'm um i'm just like yeah touche i don't know i agree i very much agree um dumbing down the creature a little bit you know as as much as i (laughs) we dump in the night uh (laughs) as much as uh we i guess as much as it informed me about them like trying to find a way in um 
you're right, Patrick and Jamie, like you, like that 15 minutes without aliens too is like, can be very scary. I think is how you look at it. And um, especially from what we got from alien and just building off of that creature um, was horrifying. Uh, and I know it, it gets back to that um, more closely in alien three, which I, I love as well. Uh, but yeah, I guess, you know, I was going to say it's, it's kind of cool to me, at least like how I grew up, the way that they released it. And I was, you're able to like treasure hunt a little bit. And I don't know, Patrick, were you saying this earlier about like, you, you're kind of like putting the puzzle pieces together. You're like, oh, there's this special edition now, or there's this deleted scene. And you're like, as kids growing up with these things, and I'm playing with the action figures and um and the kenner figures and all that and and then i'm like oh there's more to the story and you're finding it and that was like really cool in those moments and i know this about myself like i'm like big nostalgia guy and so like anything that reminds me of that or takes me back there is something that i just love um as i'm sure a lot of you guys do too but i i just will like love that so much just for that um and so maybe it's a little bit of that for me uh, in that moment, but I'm just so thankful that I guess that it, I guess that it, Fox and Cameron and, and it all kind of happened that way um, because it gave us that experience of like finding out more and watching these scenes. Um, but now the more and more Patrick and Jamie, you guys talk about it. I'm just like, I'm, I'm not flipping sides here, but I'm just like, <laughs> I agree. I'm just like, you know, it, the theatrical cut is that way for a reason um, or, or was cut that way for a reason. And, uh, you know, for good or bad or, or just like for what it offers or what it doesn't offer. I, I think it's still a great um, depiction of, of uh, just the story in general. Here's the thing. And, and I want to take point with myself right now. I prefer the theatrical cut of every single one of the movies. And that's something that I don't think I stop and think about very much. But anytime these conversations come up, like I prefer the theatrical for Alien 3 over the assembly cut, which I know is kind of rare, but I know Jamie feels the same way. Um, I do not care about the director's cut of Alien, particularly. I, th I think it actually adds stuff that doesn't need to be there, although it's cool. Um, and with the special edition also, I just feel like it slows and kind of dumbs the movie down a little bit. The Alien, the Alien Resurrection special edition, uh, which I don't even remember if that's what it was called or not. I, I think it's it even more laughable than the movie is, especially the ending of it. It's just it's just so ridiculous to me. I, I think that that probably says something about me, though, is the reason I bring it up. And maybe my hubris, but probably more likely than that, my attachment to the forms of the movies that I fell so madly in love with the first time around. Because, and this is even, you know, although Shoulder of Ryan is a terrific podcast and you should subscribe to that as well. This is why Alien will always be closer to my heart than Blade Runner even, which is saying a lot because I love Blade Runner so much. It's because I, I fell so hard for these movies, as I know everybody on this call obviously also did. And everybody who's taking the time to listen to a fucking Alien podcast out there, you also did. These movies imprinted on us so intimately when we were young for many of us that any other version of it that we come across feels almost anathema. It's like something we have to get used to. So for those of you who fell in love with the special edition first, 
Um, like I would 100, I would have such a hard time jettisoning that material and being like, oh no, the definitive is the theatrical that James Cameron, who is a genius, did not want to have put out. Like I, it would be really hard for me to get to that point. But because the theatrical is what I fell in love with, it's what I'm still still in love with. And everything feels superfluous. You know, it feels like we don't need all this stuff. Um, so I guess I'm bringing that up just because uh, I, I think it, it, it probably says something about where a lot of my judgments are coming from on it. And that is to say that ultimately this is such a subjective conversation, obviously, but especially with something like editions of a movie like this, like it is, we will always have differing opinions on it. And and I, I guess I'm saying that because I want to make it clear that I'm not trying to enforce my opinions on anybody else here or listening to it. If you love the special edition and you love the Sentry Guns and you love the Jordans and the Wildcats, so if you love that stuff, then good for you. Love the fuck out of it because that's your job as a nerd. Like, love it if it's for you. But it's just, it, for, for me, that this edition of the movie has never felt as appropriate or as true to the vision, interestingly enough, that Cameron had as his original theatrical release did. And and it's it's just, the last thing I'll say about it is it's interesting because we're basically giving Fox the credit for this, right? Cameron did not have final cut privileges on this. Fox made a lot of editorial decisions late in post-production, as we mentioned, late enough that things got the wrong licensing scripts, right? Um, and Cameron basically had to sit back and just let it happen. And Fox is a, is a company that we spend a lot of time crapping on on this podcast <laughs> for many creative missteps along the way in the handling of this franchise, uh, you know, for, for better or for worse. Um, but this is, I think, a, a testament to... they. They didn't know what they were doing, in my opinion, with this movie. Like the decisions that they made late in the game on it were the right decisions for the material. So, um, you know, Fox deserves more credit sometimes than I think we we give them. Question: Why is it called special edition and not the director's cut? That's what James Cameron wanted it called. I'm really oh, not okay. sure. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I'll disagree I'll- in one sense, though. That I, I that scene of the egg morphing and alien, I love that scene. I think it adds so much. I get that argument even ridley scott said it just didn't work with pacing i've never seen anything like that in a movie before and i think it works beautifully in where the place where they put it in the director's cut or whatever you want to call it i mean i think the film absolutely works without it as well but there's no i mean the only time they ever tried to recreate a scene like that was in resurrection when ripley comes face to face with herself essentially um but i love that scene in the director's cut and i think it's it just makes alien even more crazy and otherworldly and terrifying but i do prefer the theatrical cuts and not because for me like oh those are the cuts that i've seen but i think it's just they just seem to work in a tighter uh, just they just flow better for me but i think we'd be having obviously a different conversation if they had released these special editions or director's cut and that's ones we have seen we would love them we wouldn't think anything but they didn't and so we have these uh differing versions but one thing i will say i'm so glad that james cameron released these and made everything available not like lucas who was like here's the new edition you're not getting the other one i'm sorry like talk about a fuck you to fans like come on man you got to honor you got to honor both sides here like do what you want to do but also honor that people fell in love with a different version of your film so in that sense like props to james cameron and ridley scott and everyone involved um and even fox for 
giving us the assembly for Alien 3 and the theatrical edition and saying, hey, all of these can exist at once, as opposed to trying to retcon history and say, oh, no, only this one exists. For my money, it's theatrical cut of Alien, special edition of Aliens, assembly cut of Alien 3 by far. Wow, we're getting to that. What fourth film? What? I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Directed but, by, I believe you said earlier tonight, Jean-Pierre Jeannot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you say Jeannot? Jeannot. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll say Jeannot because the movie sucks. That's funny. I'm pretty sure that Fox only mandated uh, the runtime. I don't, I think that, I think it was Cameron mm. who made the cuts. Yeah. Because uh, he was very hands-on with the whole deal. Actually, so, I think Gail made, Gail made most of the cuts. Or advised James to make most of the cuts. Um, she was the one who got rid of the Hadley's Hope, and he really wanted to hold on to it. And she's like, "You have, if we're cutting, you know, they had to make certain cuts here and there, and that whole segment made the most sense um, without losing some of the other things." So, um, I think, I think she ultimately made the most the the decisions, and he just kind of agreed with it. But I don't think he wanted to lose any of it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Actually, just briefly, trivia: um, the sequence where they have her gun standing in for Vasquez's gun in the tunnel actually is her holding a gun to James Cameron's head in the <laughs> editing booth, forcing him to get rid of that sequence. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. That's not real. The last two bits that uh, we haven't talked about are um, Hudson's big speech in the APC, and then the talking about the um you know well ant hives have a have a have a queen mm. i would cut both of those. i would cut <laughs> both of those i'm yeah. i am just simply the fact that hicks goes from being asleep to awake to asleep again yes. while hudson's talking <laughs> <laughs> and it um it doesn't sound i mean it's i love the i love the bravado obviously with hudson and i think that it's really indicative of who his character is but it feels like he's reading someone else's words it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like he's coming up with it off the off the cuff. What do you guys think? I love that that scene exists because it's just pure like Bill Paxton joy. And but I totally agree with you within the framework of the film. It it just stands out. But I love I mean, if I, I could just watch it like solo and just get a kick out of it. Um, but I agree. And I agree with the ant hive, too. It's too on the nose. It's too. We don't need it. We don't need you to explain what's coming up. It's too, you know, too much of a foreshadow of getting the queen. Um, so I agree on both. But I, but I love. I mean, any extra Bill Paxton to me is just a, a little, you know, it's like a little gift that randomly I could just watch. State of the badass art. You do not want to fuck with me. Check it out. Hey, Ripley, don't worry. Me and my squad of ultimate badasses will protect you. <laughs> just super quick, Perry, before that, just about extra Bill Paxton, his sequence on the dropship that Christian was talking about, right? Getting more of moments like that to me makes a special edition a treat every time. Perry, go ahead. Absolutely. Uh, no, I was, I couldn't agree more. I love all the Bill Paxton moments. Uh, that's why, too, just the sentry gun scene, just his little uh, dialogue bits are funny uh, and great. But, yeah, I, I love that. Sharp sticks, knives. <laughs> like, trying to, like, put, like tell 
Ripley. Like <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, I, and the hive scene too, or the them talking about it. Uh, Bill Paxton again, just like him, his and um, uh, the banter with Vasquez uh, about it is is so funny to me. I love those scenes too, standalone. Um, but yeah, I get now that we've talked about this through and through. I I would have to say to get you know take those out in my version as well. Yeah, I would slim. I love. I love Paxton, but I think the addition of those scenes kind of push him over the top. He's already over the top. <laughs> What's in the theatrical? Like, we get it. We we get him. We get his bravado. We get his arrogance. And then he turns into this, like, weepy little 12-year-old boy, you know, midway through the film because he's terrified. And I don't, I think those things just kind of push him over. He gets, it's it's almost belligerence. Um, so I think pairing him, he has so much screen time and such presence pairing him back a little bit, does his character a little, just some good in my, but I, I could watch those things. I mean, I could watch Bill Paxton's just amazing and everything he's in. And, uh, it's just, he's just a delight to see on screen. He eats up every moment of screen time. So those scenes are great by themselves for sure. And I, I want to make a closing argument as, as we come to the end, um, in favor of the special edition, actually which is not necessarily that I prefer it, but how grateful I am that we have it. Because Aliens is something that we can all agree is just a a legendary moment in film history. It is something where all of these brilliant people, both behind and in front of the camera, came together to make something astonishing, right? Something that felt impossible and continues to feel impossible to this day. Every time I watch it for hundreds and hundreds of times now, I'm still on the edge of my seat, right? It's an impossible thing to create. And the special edition gives us a glimpse into more of that, right? It gives us more time with those sets. It gives us more time with those actors, many of whom are no longer with us. It gives us more time inside Cameron's head and Hurd's head and, you know, everybody else's head. It gives us more of a glimpse into a moment in history that deserves to be preserved. That, that needs to be preserved. And for so many great films, and Aliens is a great film, obviously, for so many great films, we don't have that, right? Like when, when you watch the you know definitive cut of Citizen Kane, there's not like that much more we have access to because that film's degraded and you know most of it's in the movie. When you watch the ultimate cut of many other movies, right? Like, like basically we're seeing just the restored footage of the movie that we all know. So when you get a collector's edition that comes out, it's like, the movie that you already know it just looks a little better and has more special features with it but the special edition is different the special edition is a fundamentally longer more in-depth film that you know is created by the people who made the original movie from the same time period they didn't go back and change it it was all from that moment in history in the mid-1980s so for that i think it's it's an invaluable document and it's while i might not personally prefer it i am just beyond thankful to my lucky stars that it exists. I, I, tr- I truly am. I think it's a treasure to have. There, so you agree with me. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we dumping. Patrick, I'm curious. What do your boys prefer? Oh, the theatrical. Okay. Because it's Do they even know? Oh, because well, the, they, they've never okay. seen the special. They, they've seen parts of it because I've shown them some of the differences, but it's it's like <laughs> the other thing is- We don't so, show that in our house. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's forbidden. How <laughs> dare you? Get out. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where, like, the the movie just works so beautifully for a, a kid, right? Like I was saying before, it's a, it's a universal film language, right? That adding all the extra stuff into it and slowing it down more, it, 
it, I think it pushes it to the point where like, I could see them getting more bored with it. We haven't tested it. Maybe, maybe I'll sit down and watch the whole thing with them this weekend and see what they think about it. And I'll report back. Thank you. I was Before we close. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I'll definitely show Quinn when she's old enough. I think all the, obviously all the theatrical cuts first. Cause I, I, cause I was just thinking about that. I watch them so much. I'm like, God, I'll, I'll have to get to a point where I'm like, where I, you know, just don't I'm like, all right, I got to just watch the theatricals now or else she's probably going to catch glimpses of scenes or something uh, just to make sure, because I, I feel like I'd want her to have that feeling of like seeing the special edition or, or whatnot and just seeing these extra scenes and then having her own um, imagination go and, and find, you know, and just kind of how I had not to control that <laughs> aspect of it, but um, it'd be cool. I think to, to do that uh, with her, it just Patrick, you made me think of that talking about your kids. Otherwise she's going to wonder what, I know there's a scene with guns. I remember yeah. hearing it when I was a baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what? Perry's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Five years later. I'm sorry, I lied. Santa's not really either. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious, uh, before we close the show, when about the time the theatrical was, or not the theatrical, but that special edition or version of it was on TV, I know for me, the props and a lot of things were touring the country. They came to the, I think it was the Field Museum or the Museum of Science and Industry. There was a whole movie section. So they had the the, the shark from Jaws 4 with its head moving and it, like, and it was spinning around. And they had all Master of the Universe like prosthetics. And then they had the puppets from, that they used the miniature puppets from Aliens. You know, the, the power loader and photos and props from Aliens. I'm curious, Andy and Christian, if those made their way to where you guys were when you were a kid. No, they did. No. I didn't know really? about it. No. Yeah. My dad took me and I was just like, <gasps> what like, was this? Was it, to- it was a touring exhibit. Yeah. It was like the magic of the movies or something like oh, that. So it all they, it had a whole like wing of the museum with props from movies of the eighties. It was just amazing. the closest I got Shut was like planet Hollywood. Like I remember. Oh, really? I remember requesting the seat next to the aliens props in Planet Hollywood. Oh, Hall. yeah, yeah. I did that. I've been to Planet Hollywood, too. <laughs> I grew up in Newark. In Newark. <laughs> in the Newark airport. Nobody goes to Newark. <laughs> when I was growing up in Gettysburg, we were close enough to D.C. that that was kind of our city that we'd go to. And the Smithsonian one time had the set from MASH of the, what do they call it, the swamp, you know, the where where Hawkeye lived. Anyway. Uh, and they had that recreated in the Smithsonian. And so that was like my one bit of connection to, you know, movie or TV magic was I got to see that. There were no xenomorphs involved, though. <laughs> Although Tom Skerritt was in the movie version of MASH. I've never seen that. You don't have to. It's really not. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a Roger Altman. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid that MASH would come on, like we'd be watching whatever show and then you'd hear that or whatever the music was and like turn the channel turn the channel because i was with a bunch of other kids because we hated it now mash brings me comfort yeah (laughs) because i'm so old patrick (laughs) i love watching oh sorry christian i was just anyone watch hogan's heroes great show i used to watch that all the time all right i just wanted to say something that's interesting about the special edition 
is that it wasn't like James Cameron wanted to just throw any old thing in it because the Burke cocoon scene isn't in the film that he, yes. he, he you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's a, that's a moment that I think that if, if it were 30 years later, like Ridley Scott, like, Oh yeah, let's, let's throw that, that thing with Dallas in there. That stupid scene that nobody likes. I'll throw it in there. You know, the cocoon scene. This is it aimed at Jamie and he's not picking up on it. I, <laughs> I cannot stand the Dallas cocoon scene because it completely slows really? down. Oh, really? Yeah. It's completely no, out of place. See, for me, in yeah. my mind, it just really, it takes, it just takes me deeper into this horror of this creature. Because you're seeing Dallas and um, a Brett and you don't really understand what's happening to them. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't hear the term egg morphing until years later. So there's something is happening to them. They're being transformed. So for me, when I saw that as a teenager, I was horrified, horrified. And again, I didn't see it until much later when they officially released it. Uh, but yeah, it just, it really made an impression upon me. And I would love alien to get back to those roots, those horror roots. And I actually think as we continue on our discussion about the life cycle with covenant, which will be our next episode, um, it gets into that horror aspect, that that body, what do you call it? Body horror, what's it called? Body, yeah, um, that I aliens moved away from. And Alien 3, for all intents and purposes, moved away from it as well. And it became more psychological or more action-oriented. But I just love that cocoon sequence. I, it's, yeah, it, it sticks in me in a way that very few other things do. Um, in the series. Okay. So what's everybody's favorite extra scene? But if you could only add one, what would be the one that you would add? What's the fave? To the actual assembled cut of the movie, not yes. just like something I would keep something that I would put into the, yes. What would you, yes. What would you put it. in? Yes. For me, the fucking sentry guns. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it would have to be just just Hadley's hope before we see the the um, the the Jordans go off in their wildcatter. Just the Hadley's hope sequence is is the thing that I would keep. I could lose all the rest. For me, it would be uh, Ripley and Hicks introducing themselves with their first name. Dwayne. Dwayne. <laughs> for for me, it would be it would be uh, without question Ripley hesitating uh, before she goes inside. I think in the rain. I think that's a, a very powerful moment. I agree with what Andy and others said about it tonight. I think it adds a lot of really good character beats and it feels like it fits to me. Perito. Yeah, this is so hard for me. I want to say Hadley's Hope. The hamster. But the hamster. <laughs> Somebody's got to advocate for the hamster. No, little Joe. You know, the hamster's Joe, name the is first Hadley. working Joe. Can the hamster also be foreshadowing of them crawling through the tunnels? later or through the <laughs> venting later. So I think the t-shirt that we make is the is the hamster. Yes. T- but it's Newt we need there. to Patrick. We Photoshop Newt going through the hamster tunnel. I, I don't <laughs> it's an idea. But no, I, I, I would I I think I would have to keep the Ripley hesitation too. I would love to keep Hadley's hope. That would be I I guess if I it would be a toss up between those two. But just yeah, I um that is very powerful. All right, hold on. The Hadley's Hope scene, though, as much as I love it, it's a completely different set of actors. It's a, you know, it does feel like a different piece. I don't think it feels amateurish, but I agree it's a different piece. So, you know, pulse rifle to my head. It is the scene of Ripley hesitating outside that door. That should be in the movie. It's it's not only a great moment for Ripley, our main character, but it's another very subtle moment with her and Hicks 
And that, how could that not benefit the movie? That's a great scene. And they have dialogue, right? They have a moment where they actually talk to each other in that. And that's, there are, there are relatively few moments like that in the movie and they're all so powerful. And that fits. That's a powerful exchange where he asks if she's okay. That moment to me rocks. I want to do quick Xander, our silent partner who's helping in the background with stuff is saying uh, he would also do a vote for the rippling Hicks scene. So yeah, I think that clearly those, those moments are important. Hey, before we quit tonight, we have patrons out the wazoo, and I want to make sure we read a couple names. Is that cool, Jamie? Just in the last few weeks, we have uh, a few new ones. I'll go ahead and read them out. We have Reda Alawash. Oh, I definitely did not say that right. Alawash. Reda, let me know how to pronounce your name, and I'll say it right in the next <laughs> episode. Uh, we have, uh, I should have probably read these through the first time, Kazes Varnellas. If I'm saying that wrong, let me know. It's an awesome name. I hope I'm not mispronouncing it. It looks like it's Kazes or Kazes Varnellas. We have uh, DR, which I think is for David Roberts. We have Eric Miller. We have Dwayne Namor King. And we got Dr. Robin Bunce, who is also a contributing host on Shoulder of Orion now. So thank you for also helping out with the shows. Uh, and a quick example and plug for you know how we use this stuff. We have another contributing host who recently joined uh, uh, Shoulder of Ryan, who had no recording equipment, and we were able to supply him with a nice home recording setup, you know, uh, at a reasonable cost, and he was able to get reimbursed for it. Uh, you know, and, and he also needed to get review materials to talk about on a recent episode. We were able to reimburse, you know, fifteen dollars for those as well. So that money that comes in is used on a, 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 I mean, sometimes a weekly basis for these productions. Everybody here tonight is on actual recording equipment, and you can probably hear that in the quality of the of the broadcast. And that recording equipment has been, for the most part, entirely funded by help from all of you out there supporting the shows. So it's it's because of you that the shows sound good. And it's because of you that we keep coming back to shit on those fucking sentry guns week in, week out. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it was going to let it go. <laughs> so thank you everyone for listening. We're going to be taking a break. This is going to be our last episode until January 4th. We're going to come back with more covenant coverage. We're going to go off into a, a series on the beast itself and its legacy and its influence in cinema and creature features and so much more as we step into 2022 and the 30th year of, or the 30th anniversary of alien three, which we will cover quite extensively. So have a great holiday, everyone. And thank you for listening. Thanks everybody. Hi. Thank Bye. you guys. For more on perfect organism, the alien saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.